0: In this episode of Scaling Postgres, we talk about recovery configuration, alter system, transaction isolation, and temp table vacuum. I'm Kristin Jameson, and this is Scaling Postgres, episode 85. All right, I hope you're having a great week. The first piece of content is replication configuration changes in PostgreSQL 12. And this is from secondquadrant.com. And basically with Postgres 12, the way you set up a recovery as well as replication has changed because the recovery.conf file is no longer used. In fact, if you have one in the directory when you try to start uh, the PostgreSQL 12 cluster, it's going to not start and give you a fatal error. Using recovery command file, recovery.conf is not supported. And in place of this file, instead it's using two signal files. One is that the cluster should be a standby, and it has a standby signal cluster in the uh, data directory, I believe. Or it has a recovery signal file, which means it's starting up in a targeted recovery mode. And if both files are present, the standby signal file takes precedence. And it mentions some other things here that when the standby is promoted, the standby signal file is removed. And if a point in time recovery is taking place, the recovery signal will be removed once the recovery target is reached. And of course, what this also means is that if neither of these files are present, the cluster will start up acting as a primary database server. Now, pretty much all of the configuration options that used to exist in a recovery.conf are now in, will be in the postgresql.conf file, uh, except for two things that they mentioned here. One, the standby mode is no longer used. They're using the two different file signals. Types now and secondly the trigger file has been renamed to promote trigger file so it's the file that will when exists promote this to the primary now the advantage of having these commands in the PostgreSQL conf file is that now you can do things such as alter the configuration and doing a reload whereas usually changes to the recovery.com file required a full restart now what's great about this post, it also mentions some gotchas with this. And the first one is that alter system settings take priority. So basically if someone changes the configuration by using alter system, what it actually does is alter a postgresql.auto.conf file that actually exists in the data directory. Like I tend to use Ubuntu and the postgresql.conf file is located in the etc slash postgresql directory. And there's a folder structure for each cluster that's on that system whereas this auto file exists in the data directory and basically you're not supposed to modify it and these changes take uh, precedence over settings in the postgreSQL conf file so basically when you use the alter system command it actually makes those changes into this uh, separate file so it's just something to keep in mind that settings in this file take precedence over ones in the PostgreSQL comp file. So you may run into confusion as different things have, uh, are going to be configured in different areas. And why this is important, I'll get into some of the, it looks like some of the utilities may be storing some uh, settings here. The next gotcha is that replication configuration settings may be present even on primary servers. So because this is in the postgresql.conf file, it could have like primary connection info setting here. Could be in the primary, but it's not a replica. Basically, you have to rely upon the standby files to identify if it's a replica or not, or query a system table. The next gotcha is no canonical location to write configuration settings. Basically, since it's part of the system configuration now, it could be in multiple files or multiple locations, whereas before it was just known to be in one file. And the other thing uh, they also mention is, of course, that the last configuration parameter red takes priority. And again, we're referencing again, the PostgreSQL.auto.conf file that is modified by alter system and other utilities that they mention here, such as pg-based backup or a rep manager, which is a backup replication manager, I believe by second quadrant. Uh, another gotcha is a risk of signal file confusion. So basically you need to just be aware of these two files in their existence and their purpose. And the last gotcha, that's really mostly just a configuration change is that only one parameter from the recovery target family may be specified. And they mentioned that in a PostgreSQL 11 and earlier, the last instance of these parameters was used. However, this time it system won't start up unless there's one and only one, uh, which I think is a safer setting for the recovery target, but uh, it's just a change you need to uh, keep in mind. So now related to this post, there's actually three other posts that talk about uh, these configuration changes. Uh, The next one's by procona.com and its title is, how to set up streaming replication in PostgreSQL 12. Now again, they talk a lot about the changes that, uh, the fact that recovery.conf has gone away and you need to do your configuration slightly differently to do replication. So they are doing this on a CentOS system, I believe. So they're showing the different ways to get the, change the parameters you need to set up replication, create a user, update the pghba file so that you can connect to the primary. And then they do a PG based backup to the primary and they're actually using the R option, which we'll look at in a second here. Basically that writes the appropriate files to be able to start the system in the recovery mode. So for example, using this R option, it actually... The pgbase backup utility actually writes to the postgresql.auto.conf file that was mentioned before, that's in the data directory of PostgreSQL, and it adds the uh, listen addresses and the primary connection info that was input uh, with the command pgbase backup command here. So this is a pretty good post about showing you how to walk through and talks a little bit more about the changes that have come with uh, PostgreSQL 12 with regard to recovery and also replication. Uh, The only thing that I saw here that it kind of gave me pause is the fact that they actually did an echo to write to the PostgreSQL.auto.com file when it explicitly says in the PostgreSQL.auto.com file is do not edit this file manually. It will be overwritten by the alter system command. Uh, So so they did overwrite it here. I would probably not do this because it seems to be not the best practice, uh, but just something to keep in mind. Uh, next post also related to this change so apparently with people trying 12 they may be running into this issue this is where is my recovery.com file in postgresql version 12 and this is from Rocks.enterpriseDB.com. and his answer is the short answer is it's gone and again he runs through the different process why it's gone Again, talking about how PGBase backup with the R option and how it works differently. So again, another resource to go and read to help you get up to speed before you're imp- implementing 12 and needing to change your recovery processes potentially, as well as your replication processes. With this, I haven't used the ultra system command a lot. Typically what I do is modify the PostgresQL.com file and then do a reload of the system, but this may see more increased usage. So. It would probably be a good practice and again this command's been around for a long long time but to get familiar with the alter system command and, and how it works as well as looking at the uh, pg base backup command so in versions 11 and prior the r option the capital r option or the write recovery.conf option was write a minimal recovery.conf file well those no longer exist and in version 12 that same option in pg-based backup actually as a create a standby signal file and append connection settings to uh, the PostgreSQL.auto.conf file. And this also adds the uh, replication slot if PGB's backup is using a replication slot. So again, just just some changes and some gotchas to be aware of with regard to PostgreSQL 12 in terms of recovery as well as uh, replication. The next post is time and relative dimension in space. And this is from pgdba.org. And this is a great post. He explains things very well, talking about essentially transaction isolation levels. Uh, First, he covers MVCC, so it's Multi-Version Concurrency Control, how PostgreSQL handles concurrent access to a lot of the different data and then what each individual can see. He goes into how the XID is assigned once a transaction started and that along with uh, essentially hidden columns and tables that define what XID it was created or deleted at determine what you can see in the database based upon the version that you're using. And then a part of this and this was a great great explanation of how this works so if you're not familiar with that definitely check this out and then he follows up with a transaction isolation and how essentially the this is the SQL standard defines four levels of transaction isolation in terms of what's possible like at the lowest level it's possible to get dirty reads when a transaction can access the data written by a concurrent not committed transaction when it's possible to get a non-repeatable read a phantom read and a serialization anomaly so all sorts of different possibilities. And then what he did is created this table here that compares these possibilities with the isolation level options available in PostgreSQL. So essentially with a read uncommitted, everything but a dirty read is possible. Essentially with PostgreSQL, it's not possible to get uh, dirty reads. And I should mention that the uh, default state is read committed for PostgreSQL. So if you do nothing, it's going to be read committed. So it is possible to get non-repeatable reads. You do a select, you get a value. Another transaction modifies it. When you do a select again, you're gonna get that updated setting. So you get the most updated data that's in the database when you do a query, but that's what a non-repeatable read is. But you can change the isolation level in PostgreSQL to be a repeatable read. And this can be on a per transaction level or for your particular session that you're connecting to the database as. And with a repeatable read, you actually get rid of non-repeatable reads and phantom reads, although it's still possible to get a serialization anomaly where the order of the transactions, there's no guarantee as, as to when that can happen. And here he talks about being able to set the transaction isolation level as a part of the transaction. And he goes over discussing this in more detail, read committed, along with some examples, repeatable read, and then finally serializable. So again, this is a great post and discusses how Uh, this kind of system works and how using these transaction isolation levels you can alter the concurrency of PostgreSQL depending upon your use case. So particularly if you're a developer I encourage you to check out this post. The next article is what is auto vacuum doing to my temporary tables? And this is from cybertech postgresqlcom And he's talking about uh, what autovacuum does. This essentially cleans tables. Like what was mentioned in this previous post is that essentially to handle MVCC, what PostgreSQL does is it doesn't do updates in place. When there's an update, what it does is it actually creates a new row and then flags the old row essentially for deletion but it can still be visible based upon the transaction isolation level. What auto-vacuum does is it goes into the table and then clears out all the old rows, essentially finally deletes them, as opposed to just being marked for deletion, as well as reset the XID that was mentioned Uh, in this post as well. So autovacuum goes on a regular basis and essentially vacuums all these dead tuples from the tables. But an issue is it actually does not vacuum temporary tables. Temporary tables exist within the essentially connection that you're using and they get discarded once that connection is uh, stopped or that session has stopped. And he has an example here where he's actually using an extension to, to be able to get statistics with regard to the tuple. He creates a real table called t_real and then creates a temporary table called t_temp. He inserts five million rows. He deletes half of those rows from each of the tables. Waits a bit for auto vacuum to clean up the uh, real table, and then when he st- checks the uh, stats of the tuple for the real table, you can see hardly any dead tuples and a fair amount of free uh, percentage of space has essentially been reclaimed by doing the vacuum operation. Whereas when he looks at the temporary table, you can see tons of dead tuples. So auto-vacuum has not uh, touched this table and you, of course, don't have that much free space. So this can be an issue if you're trying to keep temporary tables around a long time because they're not going to be auto-vacuumed. He says you can manually vacuum, uh, so that works. But definitely, again, don't have like long-running transactions with temporary tables that last a while because they're not going to be vacuumed. If you do have a temporary table that gets so large, it's going to be around a while or potentially run into a transaction ID wraparound depending on how much data you're working with, it sounds like you may need to manually vacuum it or drop those temp tables when you can and and recreate them again. So just something to keep in mind. And another great blog post from cybertech-postgresql.com. The last post is newbie to PostgreSQL, where to start? And this is from the Hygo website. And it's basically listing uh, resources that they suggest to their developers or people getting to start to use PostgreSQL for the first time. And the number one link he mentions here is postgresqltutorial.com as well as uh, momgm.us's website at his extended presentations, and of course, the official PostgreSQL documentation. So if you are at the getting started stage, it's definitely a blog post to check out. That does it for this episode of Scaling Postgres. You can get links to all the content mentioned in the show notes. Be sure to head over to scalingpostgres.com where you can sign up to receive weekly notifications of each episode, or you can subscribe via YouTube or iTunes. Thanks.